Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boa Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering, where we shall uh, have a few new beers and at the same time discuss recent market events. Now, it has been an incredibly eventful past seven days, I must say. Sam, what's your take been from uh, all of the all the wild action? Of course, we have GameStop, uh, we have Nokia, we have BlackBerry, we have uh, AMC. Everything's blown up. Everyone is uh, having a very specific opinion on what Wall Street bets means for financial markets, mm. whether you're pro-short, anti-short, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, Sam, what's your what's your take on it all? I mean, this is one of the most amazing weeks we've seen in markets for some time, which hasn't been like a giant crash in the market. But usually when, when you're glued to the screen on, a, on an hourly minute by minute basis for an entire week and, and for what looks like to be going to continue into next week, uh, it's usually related to some sort of market crash because crashes tend to come very fast. You don't usually see, um, you know, extreme upside uh, with with those sorts of things that keeps you just glued to the screen. But this week has just been, oh, on another level. I mean, if you haven't had fun in or watching or just anything to do with the market this week, uh, I you, you're you're soulless because it's just wild. And I I. Don't I come? I've I've been coming in and out of what I think it actually means. My initial reaction was that it's a signal uh, that you see at the top of a market, or you see as just just prior to a bubble uh, collapsing. Uh, and then and then and then I th- I was thinking, well, maybe it's maybe it's not. Maybe it's it's this idea that that finance uh, that's, that, that we've known has been basically rigged against the everyday investor for decades. Maybe it's now it's, it's the revenge of the so-called retail investor and that, that people have realized that when you can unify uh, a collective a group, wide, large amount of people, you can, you can really impact the market uh, against the, the traditional incumbents. And then it sort of flowed into meme territory and then into crypto and then back into like silver, which, which is something which I'm sure we'll talk about. But then, you know, talking about the, the, the silver, like with re- relation to my, Mariah Carey and the dresses she wears. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> I think there are some people that genuinely want to try and enact change, but I get the feeling that it's now sort of swayed back to that. This is just, uh, this is just mayhem at the, at the top of a market. So I'm not hundred percent sure whether I, where I've landed on that side of the coin, but that's kind of the two sides of this coin. I feel. Mm. Yeah, there is. Yeah. There's a lot of avenues we could go down. Um, for me, I don't see it as the revenge of the retail investor on on the legacy institutions purely because there are so like Citadel, which is everyone's like arch nemesis now, is has benefited from all of this. Uh, you know, this is a uh, formerly a hedge fund founded by Ken Griffin, uh, who you know he started trading. I think it was convertible bonds from his uh, from his dormitory in Stanford, and then went on to you know create this hedge fund. Uh, which you know were used a lot of leverage. Then from that hedge fund after the financial crisis, which got because uh, it got bailed out, um, I think it was from AIG, AFG, from bailing out uh, AIG's counterparties. One of them was Citadel. I think it got two hundred million in bailouts. After that point, they got into market making in a big way uh, with the with the creation of a new a new uh, vehicle called Citadel Securities, and uh, Citadel Securities. Um, and Citadel just broadly now stands for uh, they were the pioneers of the high frequency trading space mm. uh, where they were all about, you know, using really rapid uh, trading strategies that were all about nanoseconds and picoseconds, just trying to get ahead of people's uh, orders, um, uh, you know, as fast as possible. And in, in, it, in order to sort of skim, you know, a bit, a bit off the top of every trade by being 
having sort of the best knowledge in the market because they could know when big orders were arriving ahead of time because they could see the first order that got bought um, and you know they were able to race ahead and, and, and take advantage of the commission that they could get from fulfilling an order and then selling it back to the, the person that wanted it at a slightly higher price. And Citadel has grown from that, from this, you know, this um, what was a hedge fund, then a uh, market maker, to become this element of market structure, uh, which is where you know they're just trying to be the market maker for for every trade. And it's, you know, it's making Ken Griffin incredibly rich. I think uh, if you've read Flash Boys by Michael Lewis, that, that goes a lot into the, um, into the, the beginning of the high-frequency trading uh, sort of boom that existed at the beginning of the 2010s, uh, and which now is a really hyper-competitive game, whereas, you know, back then it was, uh, it was really ripe for disruption. Uh, and now, uh, you know, Citadel is one of these, is one of these titans that, uh, you know, is... is a huge part of market structure to the point where you couldn't allow for Citadel to fail in that, you know, there would be, it would create so many, so many issues throughout the plumbing. Or I mean, if you did allow it to fail, if, the, if someone went wrong with Citadel, if Citadel, you know, decided to stop doing, you know, to stop transacting with people, uh, then there would end up being an awful lot of problems. And, you know, Ken Griffin is now an incredibly wealthy guy. Uh, I remember there's one bit in Flash Boys, the, the figures may not be correct, where I think it was the early 2010s, where uh, he effectively wanted a billion dollars um, and was happy to pay tax on it. And so he paid himself $2 billion uh, in one year as a salary and, uh, and you know, just took a 50% tax on that to get that $1 billion. And you know, now he owns grand piece of property in London, uh, I think near... I think you know Whitehall um, and you know Miami and all, all over the place, and he owns huge amounts of modern art and all that kind of thing. But it, like Citadel is 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 the market maker for all these Robinhood trades and all these, uh, you know, they are profiting hugely from this. They doubled their earnings last year just from the the rise in retail speculation, and the more of this continues, the more Citadel is going to profit from it. So I don't really see it as this revenge of the little guy on on anyone other than you know maybe a few shorts like the likes of Melvin. Yeah. Um, just a few short selling funds, and at the same time, it appears that um, you know it's not it's not just the little guy that's actually causing these squeezes. I mean, there are bigger players who are piling into that momentum, and they are they are creating uh, you know the 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 short squeezes as much as the little guy, or, or arguably even more from the little guy, because you've got you know five thousand, ten thousand share blocks uh, getting executed in in shares that are already a hundred dollars to three hundred fifty dollars. So you know this is that is not that's not the every man that's making that trade uh, you need a you need a big wallet to do that um so for me like it is it is it's been incredible to watch it um i really do wish the wall street bets guys all of the best uh you have there are some incredible stories in there from people who are genuinely uh really hard up i mean they've effectively you know the the they're prevented from getting a job because of lockdowns um and you know then they've just been given this sort of six hundred dollar twelve hundred dollar check from the government and you know what, what else are they going to do? Like if they can't make, you know, if they can't, what, what are they going to do with this money other than other than ram it into the stock market? As that's where all of these gains have been made in previous years. And you know, some some you know some people, you know, it's incredibly tragic. But like, there's no, they they're loading up on stocks, trying in order to make ends meet. Like just in this wild hope that they'll be able to you know feed their families and stuff. So uh, and, you know, there's the story about you know some guy getting. Uh, could only pay for you know the vet's fee fees for his dog because of this you know game GameStop squeeze. You know, there's all of these. It, it, there are so many uh, stories that you find with the Wall Street bets where this has genuinely offered a lot of hope for people, and they've managed to make meaningful differences to their living standards uh, in this economic um, you know malaise. Uh, and so I, I really wish, like I wish these guys all the luck in the world. Uh, mm. I just really don't think it's going to end well for most of them um and i think yeah. or not even for most of them i just don't think the story's going to end uh end happily i think it's gonna i think there are going to be actions made that are not going to uh that are not going to allow this kind of these incredible rallies to continue and i think it's gonna and for the people who you know really chase them i think it, it might it might hurt them real bad and i think that's i feel bad about that because I think what it's going to do for people on lower incomes who've you know got into this and managed to make a buck, I think all it's going to do is make political polarization in the states even worse. I think uh, if you do you know this one lifeline that people were using to uh, give them hope and help them feed their families, like if you take that away, I think 
the you know the left wingers among them are going to turn to Antifa, and the right wingers among them are going to turn to the likes of uh, the Proud Boys, and it's just going to end. It's just going to make these already massive inequalities in uh, you know and you know asset price uh, inflation that asset price inflation has caused. Uh, it's just going to make that worse, and it's just going to make the politics a lot more bitter uh, and violent uh, mm. ultimately. And that's something that worries me. So, I mean, I really hope this all, this all, it all ends happily ever after with this stuff. Um, but I just, I can't get, I can't shake the feeling that this is going to um, end in tears. The problem is, when does this actually end? Yeah. Because like you're saying, this kind of behavior feels like, um, that feels like top. So, you know, feels like it could be 99, could be, yeah. it could be 89 in Tokyo. It could be, um, you know, it could be 2008 where regarding certain, uh, certain uh, with people like flipping properties and the stock market was, of course, very, uh, very pricey back then too. But the thing is, right, those, those periods were, um, you know, the, those periods were at the end of economic expansion. But where we at now is like the economy is locked down. So we need to reopen again. And when the economy reopens again, uh, and interest rates are not going to rise, right? Uh, central banks are not going to allow interest rates to rise meaningfully okay. at all. Like, you know, we, in 2000, um, during the sort of the real bubbly period where, you know, retail traders were making vast paper profits on these internet stocks, uh, Ben Bernanke, were, well, not Ben Bernanke, sorry, Greenspan was, uh, was hiking rates by 50 basis points pretty often, right? Uh, he was really, he was, he was strangling this, um, you know, this expansion of credit. Now, where we are, we're about to reopen, right? So the economic data should be getting better. And the central bank is not going to raise interest rates at all. So it makes me think, uh, well, when does this really end? So this could be the beginning of, you know, a multi-year, um, you know, just, you know, punter's paradise, you know, a proper <laughs> 1920s redux idea where everyone is getting in on the game. And everybody is making loads of money, and uh, and everyone's getting sucked into it. So I like while I think this is not going to end well, it's hard for me to imagine a period where it doesn't continue for a while, unless there's some kind of major regulatory action. Um, but yeah, uh, but we should of course you know introduce our beers. Of, of course. course, Sam, what are you drinking at the moment? Uh, so the first one I've got here is a is called a Side Eyes Pale Ale uh, from the Mikella brewery which is a belgian brewery uh this is just a run-of-the-mill 4.6 percent uh payout and uh it's actually quite enjoyable so far uh the belgians have got off to a good start for me tonight not very good well, which is which take. is something to say considering how poorly they've been over the last few days <laughs> <laughs> uh, how's it taste sam uh, it's it's uh, it's pretty look it's it's a pretty standard pale ale, um, but uh, already it's 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 one of those ones that never it just doesn't seem to touch the sides. Now I don't know whether that's just because it's Sunday uh, <laughs> or whether it's because it's uh, actually not a bad drop. But uh, I'm I'm not too far from finishing it off, so I'll probably give a final verdict uh, verdict shortly uh, after I've knocked this down. All right, the one I'm on at the moment, uh, slightly slightly boozier. This is called The Main Event, uh, and it is a collaboration, actually, between two breweries. It's uh, Fierce Brewery, which is uh, from Aberdeen, and another one from New Zealand, which I believe is called NZBC. Uh, this is a double IPA. It's a Nelson Sauvan and Motueka, or Motuka double IPA, and it's 8.5% ABV. Nice. Um, so far... It's pretty good. Um, so very, very hazy. You can't see through the damn thing. Um, it's quite a brown, sort of ochre, ochre color, I would say. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's a two hazy, single hop New Zealand IPAs collide in a big, bold, and juicy double IPA. Uh, so yeah, the main event. Um, yeah, so NZBC is the New Zealand Beer Collective. Ah. And this was actually brewed in Dice, which is, uh, which is in Aberdeen. Uh, and so really not very far. Not very far from me. 3.7 units. Uh, I'm not seeing anything about it being vegan, which, uh, you know, you know, no. you never know what that means. No. Um, oh, no, actually, no. I, I tell a lie. It does say suitable for vegans, full stop. Doesn't have a doesn't have a symbol, but it's got that. Uh, it has been highlighted. 
but yeah sit back and enjoy the main event uh, so far it's pretty good uh, it does taste pretty strong it's quite sweet uh but it does sit in the stomach somewhat <laughs> um but now we'll see. we'll see how it goes we'll see how it goes but sam yeah in terms of um what, what when you're talking about it feels more like financial activism to you rather than sort of you know the top the, you know part of a the topping behavior in the stock market where the every man is getting involved i mean yeah i mean do you think there's yeah how long do you think this could continue if this mm. isn't the top i mean so it's like it's it's difficult because when you think about how this how the gamestop saga really started uh was just was was really somebody making some serious fundamental value investment decisions uh there's the the guy that sort of was at the front of this trade uh known as user deep fucking value on reddit uh, shortly followed in by a number of um, notable investors. I think was it um, uh, is it Michael Burry? I can't remember. Burry wasn't was an early investor in games. Yeah, he was one of the early investors too. Um, and so it ended up just becoming sort of a deep value play. And then somehow it just it it. It, it it was it was a snowball effect, and it, it ended up just catching, ended up catching this momentum, and then and then going. It effectively went viral. It was it's it's a stock play that went viral. But the interesting thing, and this is so this is what I find fascinating about the whole situation, is that it's what we've seen happen to GameStop and AMC and a few of these other stocks that have been heavily shorted. Uh, often, uh, you know, the short positions in excess of 100% of the actual uh, float of the share. Um, when you look at actually the, the ownership structure of some of these, even multiples higher than that. And so it, it ended up as, 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 a, as a protest against the the controls and the manipulation of big financial institutions so what went from just a good a very smart very shrewd uh stock play gained momentum became viral and ended up being more about trying to stick it to the man so to speak than the actual fundamental play itself and then because of the hype and the and the FOMO and, uh, and this the incredible momentum. And, and the, as I say, because it went viral, it's, it's taken on a life of its own, but it is, it is very much now becoming politicized because of the fact that these financial institutions uh, then decided to shut off access to trading in these stocks. Now they have, le they had legitimate reasons for doing so because they can't they can't sell stock or they can't uh, allow trades which they cannot fulfill um that's like me selling you a car that i don't own uh so that's illegal and they can't do that so they had to they had to create uh trading restrictions and they were they are still doing it so i mean we both got emails over the weekend i know a mate back in australia got one from ig saying that they are going to restrict trading in gamestop and amc the point about that is markets are supposed to be free accessible and for everyone but we all know that they're not and everyone's kind of really known that that it's the it's the hedge funds it's the already wealthy uh it's the sophisticated investor so to speak it's these big asset managers that really get priority in the market they get first access to some of the big listings. Uh, they get access to deals that most investors would never get near. Uh, they get priority on trades because of trade sizes. Um, and then they also have uh, data fed to them uh, from, from exchanges and from pl trading platforms. So they're always ahead of the average investor. And we've all kind of, we all, we all know it. It's not like it's hidden. But no one's really kind of given a shit about it for some reason until now. And, and it feels like there's a lot of 
social issues that are external to the market that are reaching a tipping point. There's great division uh, in, 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 in countries, in different uh, groups of people. Um, and that's, it's, it's found its way through this particular trade idea uh, as into the market. And, and this, what, what we've seen sort of play out, I, I, I do find that it's very similar to everything from uh, the capital, uh, the capital riot, or whatever you want to call that. Um, it's it's similar to a lot of the the, the protests that we are seeing in society, whether they be um, uh, stole the vote uh, protests or whether they're Black Lives Matter protests. There's a lot of social unrest that exists in different factions of society at the moment. And this is just another example of that, but it's just playing out in a way that we've not seen before necessarily, or at least we've not seen it play out this way from non-financial institutions, from you know, non-sophisticated investors. This is the first time a group of, uh, I guess, again, you use the term retail investors. They don't, they haven't necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily just them anymore, but they were what started it. And it feels like they started it and that momentum when that really kicked up a notch um, was really a statement to existing and incumbent financial institutions and the financial establishment say, we've actually got more power than you probably consider. Uh, and it's time you recognize that. But by shutting them all off, by now, you know, the SEC and different authorities looking to investigate Reddit uh, and the activity on that. All it's doing is just continuing to play into the hand that people shouldn't be trusting these centralized authorities, whether it be the government, central banks, Wall Street, um, all these large incumbents that have done so well and, and continue to do well for themselves and, you know, the, their cronies. It, it seems like the like you say there's that division which is really starting to set in now for that reason i don't think it does end here and gamestop will continue to be pushed and pulled and then it will end poorly for a lot because we've seen these sorts of short squeeze plays play out before and they basically every time revert to where they were before it all started uh, and then they'll move on to something else and they'll try and target something else. And every time they move on and try and target something else, uh, they will leave collateral damage in the dust. So you're right. There will be a lot of investors that really don't know what they're doing, uh, trying to ride these momentum plays, not understanding the risk of capital, the risk of how the market moves or even the instruments they're dealing in. And that's, and that, and they, they shouldn't, they shouldn't be playing in, in, in that in that space they should this is not a, a paddle pool for for everyone to be playing in that's not to say that i don't think everyone should have the ability to play in it but it's so complicated and the financial system and markets have become so convoluted and so difficult to understand that they're not they're not for the, for everybody they should be they should be simple there should be a lot a lot more greater ease and access you you know one of the one of the, the probably the worst things that's ever happened to markets is the continuous creation and innovate innovation i say in inverted commas uh in financial instruments and derivatives and things like that i don't necessarily think that they're a good thing um and i don't i don't like naked short selling i think short selling has a place but again not a, not a huge fan of short selling either and i'm sure plenty of people will disagree with that um and i think we may see out the back of this some 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 restrictions. There are parts of parts around the world that have that have you know put bans on things like naked short selling and that. And I think we'll continue to see more regulation around that, which will probably just complicate everything a little bit more. Um, I mean, that's a that's a long explanation of, uh, of I think where this is going. But I, I don't think it's I don't think it stops here. But it's not because of this example or this particular short squeeze, it's because of a greater societal unrest and division uh, that you mentioned before. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree broadly with that. Personally, I have no problem with short selling, uh, provided that if you if you get caught on the wrong side of it, and you, you know, you've got terrible risk, risk management, like the likes of Melbourne Capital, 
uh, clearly have, then you get carried out on the stretcher. I mean, that's and that's what happened to them. They've uh, what was it? They're down fifty three percent in January now. That uh, that fund. Um, so, like, I've no problem with short selling. I think it's important for uh, important for the market for there to be that kind of liquidity and the ability to express a negative view on something. Um, and it's inherently riskier than going long on something just by default, uh, because you know your uh, your your downside is infinite and your upside <laughs> is limited, which is the opposite for for buying anything ultimately. And not to mention the fact you need to pay interest. So I've no problem with short selling at per se. Um, it's just provided that if you are a short seller and you get it wrong, uh, you get your ass beat. I mean, that's the I've no problem with that. I mean, that's just the way that's well, that's what risk taking is. Um, so provided you don't get a bailout, that's fine. Um, uh, the thing but for I think, me, I think that's part of the problem is though as well is that a number of these institutions have got access to bailouts previously. Uh, they're you know they're the ones that are in line when when the central bank prints money that doesn't flow to the guy that's getting a six hundred dollar uh, stimulus check. Well, I mean, that, let's see what time. happens if Robin Hood get, goes bankrupt, mate. Because uh, that would I. I would imagine Robin Hood uh, would be something. I think Robin Hood at this point would be something that would be bailed out if, well, if there they were, kind of wasn't. were. They kind of were. So they they raised another billion dollars during all. This. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. But that, those are just credit lines. I mean, as in actually from from like you know the U.S. Treasury Department. Um, and you know because and Melvin got a bailout effectively, but it was from Citadel, so it wasn't you know it wasn't a a public a public issue. When you speak of collateral damage, though, I think that's a good way of describing what this dynamic is. Mm. I don't think it seems like a lot of people don't understand that when they want to buy risky shares on margin through a um, through a, you know your broker, that that increases the risk for the broker. Uh, this is not it's not like the risk is all limited to you. If you want to buy something that's very volatile, then the broker effectively is subject to margin calls as well. And that's just what's happened with, with Robinhood and it happened with uh, interactive brokers. And now it's effectively happened with IG mm. where the amount of risk that they would be allowing you to have would also flow onto them. And I think that's the reason why that they've, you know, why they decided to, to not allow trading in those securities. But of course, this is the worst optics ever because it yeah. looks like they're just in bed with the short sellers. Um, but you know, it, I think all this does is reveals the weakness that Robin Hood always had in that this is a, they're trying to do zero commission mm. um, using only by selling user data, ultimately to by selling trade data um, and by affected by putting everyone on a margin account by default rather than having anything else. And I think that is all, all this is doing is revealing how ultimately fragile that model is uh, to the point where you know you don't need a bear market for this to be a problem. Like this is just things are going up too fast is the problem. Like the idea that you would have, you know, it's a quite a strange thing to think about. The idea that um, instead of there being a ban on short selling like there was in the financial crisis, you're now seeing a de facto ban on going long an asset, uh, which is pretty. It's a pretty ridiculous. I mean, how good must the times be? if they're actually preventing you from buying something that goes up now what must be going on here that you know you've got uh, uh, an implicit ban on going long an asset um and i think that robin hood model is just really being called into question it comes back to this this issue of when you have no interest rates and you've got all this money going into unicorns and you've uh, and Robin Hood correctly tapped into that feeling that you mentioned earlier, where everyone knows that access to the financial system uh, is effectively pay to play, and you can get access to prime brokerage and all of the cool things that that entails if you've got a lot of money, but you can if you're a little guy. So the Robin Hood idea, you know, the, the grand irony of the Robin Hood idea is that <laughs> you know they're they're giving they're giving access to stocks for free to the little guy. And uh, we're ultimately seeing that there are limits to that. There, are, you know, this the the sheriff of Nottingham is de definitely uh, is definitely lurking around in this mm. financial system, and that you know Robin Hood can't provide what it, the dream ultimately was. 
Uh, and it, you know, it looks terrible. I mean, it, the idea yeah, of is. this thing it's is going up and we're actually going to stop you from buying it. Uh, and if, if rumors are to be believed, they've started liquidating people's positions without them asking for it. Yeah, uh, I, I, I struggle. Is, I struggle with those. No, I don't think any really? of those have been verified. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully that's not true. But I mean, ultimately, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, if, if, if Robinhood has to deal with that problem, which yeah. is they can't post collateral, you know, this is the collateral damage, uh, then, you know, they don't really have, a, have any, any, you know, any, any choice, ultimately, if they want to stay um, actually solvent. So, uh, but it, I think it just reveals, it just tears off the illusion that Robin Hood was giving the, you know, extending the financial kingdom to, to people for free when nothing is free ultimately. I think, and, uh, I think this, also, this also plays into question or throws into question the very idea around ownership of assets and, and control over assets. Because if you, I mean, if, 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 if they stop uh, people from buying an asset, or conversely, that means they can also stop people from selling an asset. They can effectively stop people from doing whatever the hell they want. Um, it, 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 it makes you wonder if when you think you're buying a stock or you think you're buying a piece of a company and you, you know, you, you go, Oh yeah, I, you know, I've, I've got this stock. It's mine. Well, most of the time it's not it's held on custody for you. Um, or, you know, it's a, it's a, you're the beneficiary of, of the stock that's held by the broker. So what I think, and I, I've been so I kind of I hate always bringing these things back to sort of crypto, but in this situation, <laughs> in this situation, I almost can't because for a very long time now, I've been trying to help people understand uh, why stock markets operate the way they do. So, and and this is this is never more. You, you don't realize how inefficient and how just horrible that the stock market is to just just to function until you uh, are living in a different country to where you're born or you're investing in and one market uh, from a completely different country stock markets operate basically nine to five there are some variations on that but it's pretty much nine to five monday to friday they don't open on the weekends they don't open on public holidays they're not open in the evening some of them even have a fucking lunch break that is not an efficient way to buy and sell assets. Um, and it, it makes no sense in a, in a globalized world why you have to, if I want to deal on the Australian market, I have to be either placing trades out of market hours with set limit orders, which can completely get fucked uh, on opens because of gapping and market makers and, and volumes that come from external while the markets are shut. And if I want to deal in the market, you've got to be up at some ungodly hour uh, to even trade in the live market. None of it makes sense. Why, why stock markets aren't open 24 hours a day, every day of the week, every day of the year. Um, it's, it's beyond me. And why you why it's so hard to buy stocks in one country from another country again, just makes no sense. It, it, so, like if you if you're if you're if you've got an account with some of the UK brokers here, you'll find it's pretty easy to buy US stocks. Uh, but even that, they restrict you. You can't go and buy every stock that's listed in the US. It's only the stocks that they want to to give you access to because uh, effectively they're. The, their intermediaries will not necessarily give them access because they can't get the volumes that they need to, to make it worth their while. So all along the line through the entire market system, there are, there are a shadow intermediaries that you never see, you've never heard of, and you never know exist that determine what you can or can't have access to. And I think that's the bigger story with all of this, that it's really come to light is that you can't do what you want <laughs> when it comes to trying to build wealth or trying to invest. You can't invest in any company that's publicly listed. You are told and restricted by different institutions as to what you can and can't do. And I think that's the real crux of 
the issue here is that people are sick and tired of being told what to do. And that's particularly uh, emphasized and highlighted over the last 18 months, really. Well, a bit less than 18 months over the last year uh, with everything that's gone on with, uh, you know, social restrictions from the, the outset of the, the, the coronavirus thing. So this, again, it's, it's, it's just like this, this melting pot that's reaching this tipping point of people just being sick and tired and have told what to do by these authority figures and institutions uh, making decisions for them and deciding what they should or shouldn't be able to do. And so what I think we are going to definitely see at the back of this is a more decentralized uh, market function. And I think it's going to be forced on the market to evolve that way um, because investors will do it themselves. Because if you own stock in a company or you own a share certificate, there's no reason you can't go and sell that to somebody else, really. As long as you can figure out how to get the appropriate transfer of ownership from you to somebody else, then you don't, you don't have to sell it in a, in a market really, you know, through a broker. Um, the difficulty is finding that other person is, is so, you know, that's why that's how a broker in a stock market works is it's a meeting place of buyers and sellers. But if you can find a way to do that externally through a peer, a decentralized peer network, then I think we're going to be looking at a whole new way of trading assets, all assets. Um, and I, I think, I think we're just going, we're just starting to see the very, very, very earliest stages of that completely new infrastructure being being laid out. I mean, it already happens in, in crypto markets. I think we're gonna to start to see it come now from all asset classes, whether it be stocks, property, artwork, cars, whatever you, whatever you can think of. The way we trade and, and transact in assets, uh, I think is now ripe uh, for change. Yeah, the tokenization of all of these things is, um, it is like, I can definitely see, you know, it, it has such great promise. Uh, the idea that we could trade ownership, effective title of uh, assets all over the place at any time, purely because we're all connected through the internet. I mean, it, it, it makes such sense. And it's, uh, you know, it would it would create, you know, such prosperity at the same time. It would create an entire, you know, it would allow access to capital everywhere. It would just, it would break all of these barriers and allow capital to flow so easily all over the world mm. uh, and, you know, so much better, which can only lead to, in my eyes, can only lead to greater, uh, the, you know, the greater prosperity of mankind. Thing is, though, it's just hard for me to imagine uh, the financial regulators in a place like the UK or the US being completely okay with this and it being outside of their control. Because, uh, you know, when you're talking about title to something, you're talking about property rights ultimately. Yeah. Of course, if you're opening up these um, sort of digital floodgates to tokenization trading and owner, you know, the transfer of ownership all over the world very rapidly, you know, you end up with, oh, well, money laundering risk, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the manner in which it would be so easy then to, you know, go through various, um, you know, to, to, to abuse this system or to um, simply use it to, you know, effectively allow people to launder a huge amount of capital. So if you were in a sort of uh, an oligarchic kind of country, corrupt country, it'd be very, very easy for you to be able to get your assets to, to hoover up money and then to, to, you know, to get your assets out of that country uh, into, into a place like the UK, which already happens you know, with London property and things like yeah. that. Uh, but it, so it, there's such promise with the idea. You know, at the same time, you can just see such massive barriers to it. I mean, just the fact that what's going on, as we've already described with the likes of Robin Hood, um, and the manner in which you know the SEC is now looking into into the problem, even the White House said that they were looking into the problem uh, of what GameStop going up by an awful lot, um, kind of reveals that there's not uh, there's not a very open attitude to this. And I think um, I think that's gonna we're gonna 
this sort of problem is going to come to a head where people are going to really want to advance this kind of thing uh, with digital asset infrastructure and the government's going to say, uh, going to say, well, these are our terms kind of thing. Um, but Sam, I'm on my second beer now. How would you rate your first? Uh, yeah, look, the first one was, it was nice. It was good parallel. Uh, it wasn't really memorable <laughs> in any particular way. It was just a nice, easy beer to drink. Um, I, I enjoyed it, but I mean, it, it was, it was just, it was just another, it was kind of just another, another beer <laughs> for what it was worth. Uh, I think I'd just give this an A. It's, I'll, I'll, I'll forget about it in half an hour, I think. Right. Yeah. I'd give mine an A plus. It was good, but it wasn't, it wasn't that good. Um, high ABV. Uh, but it kind of you it kind of let you know that it was a high ABV. Um, second one I'm on now is uh, Happy Chappy by Promacy Brewing Company. Uh, it's a new wave pale ale uh, with a very fancy label with lots of uh, waves on it and a grinning ginger face. And um, yeah, this is uh, a golden pale ale. Uh, I've poured this. Uh, incidentally into an iron brew iron brew glass <laughs> and uh, it's bright orange so this really does look like i'm drinking iron brew now um but yeah this is uh tastes all right so far what are, what are you on now so apparently this one is from uh so i've not had i've not had i don't think i've had one from this brewing co before but it's called the Drygate brewing co uh oh, yeah. which is in glasgow i believe yeah i've had a lot of Drygate. Uh, and this one's called the Disco Forklift Truck Mango Pale Ale. I've had that one, yeah. So uh, it's it's a decent decent lick at five point one percent. That's 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 not bad for a pale ale. Uh, fruity. It's 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 got the mango. They they don't lie when they call it a mango pale ale, which I actually quite like. Um, <laughs> and, and straight out the straight out the at uh, the bat, uh, you can it's it's a it's a it's a summer beer. Like this is the kind of beer I think I'd really want to have chilled uh, in an esky on the on the back uh, deck as the sun's uh, sun's just peaking. So I'm actually kind of looking forward to this, and 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 may just have to revisit it come summertime. Mm, yeah, I've had quite a lot of Drygate. They do a a very good apple ale. Mm. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's got a fella with a gigantic afro on the front, but I can't remember its actual name. But I've had the uh, the the disco forklift before. Uh, I've got some uh, uh, a few fond memories of drinking that in the meadows in Edinburgh, actually, in the summertime. In and, the meadows. Uh, yeah, in the meadows. Yeah. Fro- were you frolicking very... in the meadows? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's uh, it's the meadows in Edinburgh. For, uh, it seems you're you're not familiar with it. I'm not familiar with it's, what the meadows are. It's a, it's an area in the centre of Edinburgh, but it's uh, near a lot of the student accommodation around there so it's very very old nice sandstone buildings here i am Uh, picturing you skipping through a field of daisies in some some meadows well minus the skipping and the daisies (laughs) uh it that's effectively it uh it is just a massive you know green lush green area uh in the center of edinburgh and it's where all the all the student accommodations nearby um yeah, and there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of drygate being consumed. Uh, you know, that's funny, Sam. Have you not you not spent much time in Edinburgh before? Uh, I've been there uh, twice, uh, but only for overnight. Well, overnighters was one overnight. I think one was an over. Yeah, both were overnighters. Really, I came up once in the winter time to watch uh, a Wallabies uh, Scotland game. Um, which which we ended Who up won? winning, which was great. So that was good for me. The walk home, I, I, I didn't I didn't wear my Wallabies top on the walk back uh, <laughs> on the walk back in, uh, and the other time was just a business trip, so it was literally an overnighter. So uh, I haven't had a great amount of time uh, purveying uh, the different the different uh, areas and, and and bars, but I feel like it is definitely a place I need to spend more time. Yeah, I'm tempted to go and, and stay there now, uh, but you know nothing's open, so it's like yeah, it won't be what you know. We could it would be you a waste if you're trip. working remotely, you can go anywhere, but you can't leave the country effectively now, and at the same time, nowhere's open. So you know what's the what's the point other than to <laughs> fall in the meadows? Except it's cold because it's Scotland, so uh, it's not wouldn't be that wouldn't be that. The fun, meadows are frozen right now. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's such a weird situation with everything continuing to be shut down uh, and closed that, so, I mean, I was, I was, I was funnily enough. I, uh, I was what I WhatsApped my dad earlier today uh, and he was asking how things were going and I was explaining and he was like, Oh, and he's in Melbourne, right? And they've gone, they've gone through some, some pretty severe and substantial uh, lockdowns over the last year. Um, but now uh, what you would call relatively free. And so he was, he was asking me, can I, could I not just go to the, you know, even just to grab a coffee from the cafe uh, down at my local high street or anything like that, or, you know, uh, pop out just to, you know, have a, have a sit and a meal somewhere. And I was like, no. No, I can't. No, we can't do that because they're all shut. The the salons are shut, the barbers are shut, the clothes shops are shut, everything's shut. And uh, my dad's a pretty switched on guy, so he kind of he kind of gets how the world works. And and even he was amazed that that was still the case over here. And even he was making note that the the economic ramifications when this ends can't be good. And I feel like the market hasn't really taken into account the severity of of what the last year has really done and the toll that it's taken in particular i think no one's really appreciating how much unemployment is going to rise once this ends i think people just think people are just going to go straight back to work but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to see a, a number. I mean, if they haven't already, a number of businesses close. You're going to see a lot of uh, redundancies and a lot of job losses that way. Uh, and then you're also going to see see companies scale back. Most companies, the biggest cost they have is wages, um, and they they will not be able to continue at the at the size they they probably have in the past. But not only that, they're going to want to prepare themselves for the next time this happens. Because now that a precedent's been set, you you kind of think that the next time a, a pandemic happens, because they do, they, they happen probably more commonly than we realise, um, this, if this happens again, they're going to need to have the rainy day fund significantly buffered up compared to what it probably was. And that's going to mean, I think, in the lead up, for the next, I think for the next decade, you're going to see companies wind back uh, on, on on staffing levels. They're going to cut costs for that, and there's going to be a serious issue around unemployment. Uh, as we know, inflation is is definitely going to come. Whether it's you know through the reported figures, it's unlikely that we'll see it massively through reported figures, but you will find it in all aspects of your day to day life. Um, and I don't think that the market's quite priced that in yet. And I think that, that there are still really bubbly type sections of the market that uh, haven't just are not seeing this come at all. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you have in mind when it comes to that? When you talk about bubbly sections of the market, for me, I think inflation is going to be really bad for the tech boom. Yeah. Which has kind of been the yeah. only game in town for a long time. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, is that is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, pretty much exactly that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's it is that interesting quandary because that I think Bitcoin <laughs> and tech are, are correlated. So I think while the Bitcoiner wants to believe that you know this is the ultimate scarce asset, and as a result, it's better than gold, I get the impression that if we saw higher inflation, it would gut tech. And as a result, it would gut Bitcoin as well. Um, or not, but I'm not talking about, you know, total collapse or anything. I'm just thinking it would be harmful for it uh, rather than uh, a positive thing, which is the way a lot of people, you know, sort of a lot of the Bitcoin narrative is, uh, you know, this is the ultimate scarce asset. Central banks are going out of control. Um, I, th I think... You know, it, the, as a total opposite to that, the arrival of inflation would be bad for tech, which in turn would be bad for Bitcoin. Um, but with the arrival of inflation, you know, that could be, it could do so many. Oh, it, and if, if it was, you know, uh, printed in the official figures, um, 
I, yeah, the, it really could change massively so many of the market dynamics we've seen for the last 20 years, uh, let alone the last 10 years. Um, just the arrival of it significantly, especially if, as you, as you described, we saw a significant spike in unemployment and you know, people didn't just go back to work. It brings back the idea of the uh, the misery index that was created, I think, in the seventies, where it was the where it was the they mixed the uh, inflation and the unemployment rates together, and uh, you know during those periods, it's you know very good for gold and things like that. But mm. um, it does make me wonder what inf- the arrival of inflation would do. Uh, you know, and incidentally, this brings us to silver, I think, with, mm. uh, which of course is now the Wall Street bets. You know, we've got to we've got to squeeze the silver shorts. Uh, idea you know i've been saying for a, a little while that i think 2021 is going to be an incredibly good year for silver and that's this is going to be finally the year when silver catches up with some of the progress gold has made uh, over the last few years and i think it's inflation that does that because gold is more sensitive to interest rates which have been obviously suppressed while silver is more sensitive to inflation which uh, has not you know spiked in the same way uh, that infl- interest rates have gone down so I think when we do get that arrival of inflation, that's really going to uh, mm. light a fire under silver's ass. But while I was saying that 2021 would be a great year for silver, I was certainly not expecting this uh, Wall Street bets raid uh, or attempted raid on silver uh, and this attempt to uh, you know get all of the paper silver leverage uh, exposed and squeezed uh, in order to push up the price, which I find... Uh, which is a very interesting case that they are making that this is the case. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I certainly wasn't expecting that. Um, what do you make of all that stuff, Sam? Well, I was, I was, I was actually curious uh, sort of on your thoughts on this because I've, I saw it was last week. It might've even been Wednesday or Thursday last week when the wall street bets Reddit uh, thread was like, right, we, which silver's next. We're going to do to silver uh, what we did to GameStop and uh and i was i was fascinated by that because i would have thought that it would be a lot harder uh to to have that kind of impact uh to silver or any any of the commodities markets because yeah. they're not they're not traded as a single stock you know silver isn't traded as silver on you know one ex- on one exchange you know there's a there's a whole different set of, of of ways you can invest in silver whether it be through um the physical stuff um through some of the the funds that that then directly will hold you know some of the physical stuff or derivatives of um so it's it, it feels like they they to do it to silver is going after something that is too big to contain but if they do the thing that i was trying to figure out is what it does to silver stocks that aren't necessarily just the physical asset but related to silver and 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 all the different aspects of that because silver's you know any sort of commodities market is much bigger than the underlying asset itself um so i was interested on your thoughts on, on what happens if tomorrow they do. They go after silver, and silver this week pumps like fifty percent, or even a hundred percent, which would be phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, quick in in the first instance, can they can they do that? Do you think that that's even feasible? Uh, and but if it if it starts to play out that way, I mean, is it is it the underlying asset, or is it everything else around it that that becomes the opportunity for all the uh, for all the retail punters, so to speak? Yeah, there's a, it's a, this is a very interesting question. Uh, and it comes down to the case being made by the punters ultimately on Wall Street Bets saying that this is, there is this massive short squeeze. So for them saying that there's this big short squeeze, uh, you know, making the case that that is the case, what they're talking about is the paper uh, positioning in silver futures uh, with uh, you know, a, an awful lot of short interest on silver in the futures market and there's not nearly enough silver out there as there is to actually meet uh, the delivery requirements of a, of a futures contract uh, because nobody uses futures contracts to actually order delivery of something anyway right you know if you want to get a washing machine you buy a washing machine 
you don't order a futures contract for a washing machine and then wait for delivery. So the, the vast amount of silver futures uh, outstanding, you know, the nominal amount is far greater than the amount of silver available for delivery. Um, and, and, you know, people think that this is, a lot of people think this is a, a, you know, a grand manipulation game being done to keep the price of silver down. Um, and, you know, may, you know, maybe that's the case. But the, I, I find it interesting that the, the Wall Street bets post on this is about trying to go for the silver ETF, the, the SLV, uh, which uh, JP Morgan is the custodian over. Yeah. Uh, and which uh, I don't think targeting that would actually do very much because the yeah. SLV ETF is the, the, the manner in which it is constructed. They don't actually need to add physical silver to their um to their vaults ultimately they can still use promissory notes i understand where effectively you know a bullion bank uh, says this 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 note is worth uh 100,000 ounces of silver etc um and the original wall street bets post has now said well on other considerations there's also the pslv which is the, the yep. sprot physical silver trust where everything is um everything has been uh, accounted for every you know every ounce of silver that is uh, quoted by the by the etf is definitely there and it's all been audited uh, so mm -hmm. the, that product was specifically created i believe in order as a, as a, an alternative to the slv to say if you want total um assurance that you own silver then you own the pslv and not the slv so you know they've said oh well there's the the slv but on second thoughts there's also the pslv if you want to be safer about it ultimately though they're trying to go for uh, a squeeze on the futures uh, which is different from the metal ultimately. So the, the, the ETF complex and the silver futures complex are somewhat different. And I'm not sure that they're gonna be successful in, re in creating the short squeeze they, they want mm. by going after either the SLV or the PSLV. Um, they can manage to get the price up a bit. And if they do, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, well, cause you know, the SLV, with the SLV, if you, they buy loads and loads and loads of SLV, uh, they, you know, the SLV can just issue, issue more and more shares and say they're all backed by silver uh, and by acquiring promissory notes on it. It's only if the, somebody was a big enough holder of SLV shares that they would be able to demand delivery uh, you know, to redeem them for actual silver. And whether or not there is someone in Wall Street Bets that has that idea in mind, I'm not sure, uh, but I would, I would hesitate to think that they'd be able to do it. Yeah. Whether or not that there is a big spike in silver price as a result of this this week, I would not be at all surprised. Uh, I wouldn't think 100%, uh, but you know, things like that, you know, a 50% you know, sudden juice, you know, I can believe that. I could believe that. Um, it's just whether or not that this actually leads to the short squeeze that they really, really want. Uh, mm. I, would be, I, would hesitate, uh, I would hesitate to see that. I think the, the way the SLV is constructed is not going to lead to a massive squeeze in the silver price. I think what they'd be, like what you're ultimately, if you really wanted to kind of reveal this kind of thing, you'd be trying to drain the, the COMEX uh, warehouses of silver, ultimately. But you'd want to try and pull all of that silver out of there uh, in order to make those, those futures promises ridiculous. Like the idea that you're yeah, going to Yeah, you'd receive. want the physical asset, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then at the same time, in that Wall Street Bets post, they were saying about, you know, you could, you could buy the miners if you want. Um, it's all whether or not this is sustained. It's all whether or not they, this leads to a sustained increase in prices. I think, uh, as you were saying with GameStop and the likes of the other great short squeezes of history, I mean, the, the price just goes back down to where it was before. With this, um, I think this will be, you know, a temporary uh, sort of interest, uh, sort of sugar hit, and that'll probably wear off afterwards. But, uh, you know, I stand a bit, I could be corrected by it. The main thing I'm thinking of is inflation. Uh, but what's interesting about this whole silver squeeze thing is the um, well? It just broadens people's perception of, um, they, you know, broadens their percept people's awareness of things like silver, and yeah. uh, it plays again into this sort of central banking fiat money idea. It's, ma it's making it a very political idea. So just like the gatekeepers are shutting, you know, the SEC and the short sellers, and uh, you know, it's us versus them, mm. and the big guys, you know, the big players get all the goodies, and we don't. This, is, this kind of plays into a similar angle of that where it's, you know, this is the oldest form of money and, you know, we're going we're gonna to get, well, let's get our hands on it. And it's been interesting to see in the States that all these bullion dealers, there are people out there who are, who are really loading up on silver now. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Uh, I've not seen that so far over here in the UK. Maybe there's less subscribership to, uh, to Wall Street bets. 
Um, but I think we'd probably find out pretty quickly uh, whether or not this phenomenon sort of lasts for a while longer. Um, and how, yeah, because I think ultimately if we do get a nice big juice in the price later in the year when inflation turns out to be higher than expected, it could all kind of play together and it could become a um, you know, more of a, uh, you know, an interesting dynamic where you've got people who are saying, you know, let's let's put it to the man and let's, you know, put our money into this stuff. Well, at the same time, there is, you know, silver really does come into its own as a kind of inflation hedge. Hmm. Um, I'm interested to see how that how that all turns out. Uh, but as you say, I mean, silver, if you look at the actual net supply of silver there is out there um, and the amount that could be brought online, especially through things like rehypothecation and the, you know, the uh, paper silver being added to supply effectively, uh, it does make me wonder whether or not this could really push things, uh, you know, really push the silver market around in a way that the larger players uh, could push it around because we had in 2020 this sort of darth of silver supply but it was really a darth of silver supply for the everyman so it was the the coins small coins and bars those were what were running out everywhere if you were a big player and you were fine to get 400 troy ounce bars you know massive you know industrial grade bars there was no issue with getting those if you if you were uh, within sort of the silver establishment if you were an industrial player uh, so i'll be interested to see how, how this all, all turns out but uh, but Sam, what would be your rating? Would you say for your for your second beer? Yeah, so I quite I quite enjoyed that actually. The mango parallel. It, by the, I'll tell you what though. By the end of it, the mango got a little bit too much, and so I think after a few, you'd kind of be like, I am sick of mango in my beer. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get the feeling if you say they do like a good apple and maybe some other fruits in there, you could have like a. Uh, a fruit cocktail of uh, like a six pack fruit cocktail of Drygate uh, fruity pale ales. Um, but look, that was good. That was better than, better than the other one. Um, see, I told you I'd forget the other one. I can't even remember what it was called. Uh, side, <laughs> side eyes, side eyes. Uh, yeah, no, look, that was, that was better. Um, I think I'd give that, actually, I think I'd give that a B minus. I, I would definitely drink it again. I'd probably have a couple. I think it's a summer beer though. Um, but you know, that was, that was all right. I'll give that a B minus. Hmm. Yeah, with Happy Chappy, that is um, that is refreshing. The new wave pale ale. It's um, it's nothing to write home about though. Again, it is a uh, yeah, it's a nice pale ale. It looks orange. Looks like Iron Brew, um, and it, everything is ginger on the label, so it really does help that. Four point one percent. I think I'd give mine an A plus. I think it's another A plus. It's mm. nice. It's not incredible, but it's nice. No, we've, so we've, we've had a bit of a, a dud allocation this week. Hopefully next week's batch uh, will lift, lift our standards back up. Because I, I, I had a good week last week with you a did, couple yeah. of crackers. Um, I, I, I need to get back to that. <laughs> yeah, it is going to be, uh, if, if this week is anything like last week, it will be quite something. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how all these different narratives start to play out. Mm. With GameStop, with Silver, um, and what the SEC or and or slash the White House decides to say about yeah. this stuff. I mean, I say what I, I don't well, think I've ever looked forward to a week in the market as much as I am now for this week. After what happened last week and how just transfixed I was by it, I I am genuinely excited about what's coming. And it's just it's fun theatre, if anything. Yeah, uh, I must say it is a tragedy that Donald Trump is not on Twitter to be able to comment <laughs> on it. I think that really would have helped uh, the the theater up, angle it? of it. Yeah, it's a you know it's incredible for people thinking that once Trump was off Twitter, that Twitter would become less crazy. You know, this would become when crazy, you look at what was been going on last week, and it's just been uh, it's just been completely wild. So I I I, I am dismayed that uh, Trump is not on Twitter to opine on his thoughts on GameStop and uh, the, you know, the manner in which uh, the price is being manipulated, et cetera, et cetera. It feels like the kind of thing that he would definitely be wanting to comment on, whereas we've heard pretty much nothing from uh, the Biden administration. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, which probably, probably doesn't play all that well. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it does, it does seem like a shame that, uh, you know, for, for when we've got this, this level of hysteria, and this level of mania that uh, you know the the big guy himself wasn't isn't there to opine on it, but yeah, you know, alas, it is what it is. It is. Um, 
Yeah, Sam, in terms of one thing that you're looking, you're, you'll be looking for this week, uh, what would it be? What, one thing would you be focusing on? Oh, geez, that's a good question. Um, I, uh, I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I, uh, I, I, I am going to be looking down on the, on the Wall Street bets thread again, just to see what, what they, what they, if they change tact, if they look to shift off of GameStop and AMC. And, and with that, uh, just how much restriction is placed on the market again this week and, and what gets shut down, what gets pulled back. Uh, and what they allow people to uh, to have a go at and not have a go at. I just think it's going to be a really, really interesting week all around. Yeah, um, we haven't commented on the action in Dogecoin, uh, which uh, you know is always always a treasure. Um, was interesting to see uh, that. I think we got the seven cents on Doge uh, the other day, which was uh, remarkable. Um, but you know, but short-lived, alas, alas. Um, it will be interesting to see how uh, how Doge, you know, it, it's a funny thing with Doge where it actually has utility as, uh, you know, for people moving uh, Bitcoin between exchanges when the fees are really high and there's lots of, uh, you know, lots of traffic on the Bitcoin blockchain. And when gas fees, gas fees are too high on Ethereum, a lot of people use Dogecoin to transfer money between exchanges. So mm-hmm. Dogecoin, you know, despite it being a meme of a coin, uh, is actually has some has some real utility, uh, and at the same time, um, you know it's uh, you know I actually realized just this week I was a discovery that the fact that Dogecoin has unlimited supply was actually a mistake. It was originally going to be a hundred billion coins, uh, but there was an error in the code, and uh, I, I believe it is the max money function, which was supposed to limit the total number of coins that can be mined. But instead, only applied there to uh, to be a cap on transaction sizes, and uh, yeah, I, I, this was this was news to me. But you know, the the dev team for Dogecoin just kind of rolled with it and was like, yeah, fine, it's going to be unlimited Doge now. So uh, yeah, it is it, it is good to see Doge getting some uh, some attention. I hope that hopefully they can uh, you know sponsor another NASCAR again um, <laughs> or do something similarly uh, flamboyant. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Well, Sam, I think we should probably wrap up for uh, for this week. Uh, we shall be back again, of course, with episode 32. And uh, but in the meantime, uh, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode of Booze, Booms and Busts. And we shall be back again in, uh, yeah, just at the end of this week, really. Uh, in the meantime, uh, do give us a follow on Twitter at Booze, Booms and Busts. And uh, also, uh, you know, if you have any um, if you have any beer requests or anything you think we really should be drinking at the moment, do feel free to uh, to send us a message on Twitter. As I say, well, that is all for this week. We'll be back soon, and in the meantime, have a good one.